Welcome to The King's Table, a podcast out of King's Hill Church in Boston where we seek to elevate the Bible over opinion, answering the questions you have. I'm your host, Jonathan Mosley. Today's episode is this, how do we deal with relational conflict? Enjoy. Well, when God saves us, his design is that we join a family, the local church. He's our father and he links our lives to brothers and sisters that we do life with. You really can't read the Bible without seeing that our growing in Christ-likeness is intimately connected to how we treat other believers. Sanctification happens within the context of relationships. So consider some of these commands. Ephesians 4:32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Or Philippians chapter 2 verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Hebrews 3:13. Exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. First Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. James 5.9, do not grumble against one another. So we really can't follow Christ without having a context of community. There's no way for us to live out God's commandments unless we're bounded to other believers. But here's the thing. Relationships are hard and they're messy. They have the potential to be beautiful, to be life-giving. But at the same time, they have the potential to make things awkward, difficult, painful. And many people, when relationships get hard, contrary to God's design, contrary to God's plan, when things get hard, Many people will bolt and run away and leave the family that he's brought us to. And as a result, we forfeit the possibility for growing in love the way Christ loves us. More so, we're, we're out of step with God. According to Jesus, our pursuit of being unified and being reconciled with our brothers and sisters is actually an act of worship. Consider Matthew 5, verses 23 and 24. If you're offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come offer your gift. So our ability to worship vertically is linked to the condition of our relationships horizontally. So what are we to do when we experience relational conflict with our brothers and sisters? How do we in healthy ways, deal with this sort of conflict. I want want to give a few principles here and anchor them in Scripture that I believe if we follow them can lead to healthy ways to see relational conflict get resolved. So number one is this. Principle one is charity, then clarity. Charity, then clarity. Much of conflict comes because simply we've misunderstood what's really going down. There's a misunderstanding at play. We assume motives that can get us into trouble as a result of that. Uh, Imagine I walk into my house after a long day of work. My wife, Chelsea, she's been with the kids all day because she's a full-time homemaker. And so I walk in, and the first thing I do is I I walk over to the bar and I pick up some crumbs that I see on the ground. Presumably they got there because that's where the kids eat snacks. And so for a week, I, I follow this routine. I walk in and I pick up the crumbs that were there my guess is because of snack time with the kids. Now, now Chelsea doesn't know why I'm doing this, but she has noticed it. So now what exists is there's this gap of understanding. 
She's she's not understanding why I'm doing this first thing when I walk in. And so here's what could easily happen when there's this gap there of misunderstanding. She could fill it in with the worst. So she starts to think to herself, I can't believe Jonathan comes in and goes straight to the one thing that I've missed today. It's as if he's passively, aggressively making known something I failed to do. He doesn't even know what I've done all day. Thanks to me, he has clean clothes and a dinner on the table, etc. And so finally, after a whole week of this, she confronts me and lays into me for my insensitivity. <laughs> I'm, I'm shocked. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's, that's not it at all. My mentality when I walk through that door is I'm home to help. I know it's been a long day and I'm sure you're exhausted. So I figure that the first place I can start in helping you is right there. It's something really easy. I can do it as soon as I walk in. Now, that's a hypothetical conversation between me and Chelsea. That that hasn't happened in our house, but you can see where it's very easy for us when we have a gap of understanding to begin to fill it in with the worst things, with suspicion possibly, and suspicion can quickly grow into bitterness and resentfulness. And so Chelsea, in this situation, she could have had all these sort of feelings of of anger, of bitterness, and, it, and all of these feelings are coming out of a place where it's really not birthed out of reality. They, they've come as a result of assuming motives and assuming the worst. And a perceived wrong does not mean an actual wrong has been committed. That's why this principle is charity, then clarity. What do we do when we're confused about an interaction or we're wondering about a decision, something that's happened? Love says, I'm going to fill that gap up with charity and then seek clarity. That's what Paul is getting at when he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he says, love believes all things. Love assumes the best. It gives the benefit of the doubt. That's charity. But love also rejoices in the truth. This is clarity. We don't assume what's in the other person's heart. Many times we enter into a conversation over conflict, having our minds made up that we're in the right and that our perspective is infallible. Rather, we should come into a conversation willing to listen, willing to ask questions. Questions like, hey, I've noticed blank. Can you help me understand why blank? Those kind of questions go a long way. Can you help me understand? I actually, I don't assume the worst. I assume the best. That's what love does. There's charity there. And then love seeks to understand. It rejoices in the truth. Charity, then clarity. That's principle Number one, as it relates to resolving conflict in a healthy way, principle number two would be this. We overlook often. Overlook often. Proverbs 19.11 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is to his glory to overlook an offense. Now, overlooking an offense does not mean submitting to abuse or just going along with unethical circumstances. It means when an actual wrong has happened— There is a certain glory to saying, in love, I'm just going to swallow this one. I'm just going to let this one go. I'm not going to make a big deal out of this because love is patient. Love is patient, which means that my fuse towards anger should be ever growing if I'm becoming more like Jesus. And in fact, as we overlook an offense, it gives us a chance to meditate on the rich mercy that we've been shown every day in Christ. Every day we fail to live up to the standard of loving God with all of our hearts, our minds, our souls, our strength. 
And on these days, God is not waiting for us to mess up before he lays down the hammer. There might be times and seasons where we do ex- experience the discipline of God. He does this because he loves us, he- Hebrews twelve six. But how many moments on a daily basis do we deserve discipline and God meets us with kindness and grace? A verse to keep in mind here, I think, is First Peter 4, 8. It says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Peter says, above all. How massively important is that? Above all, love one another earnestly because love covers a multitude of sins. Covers. When someone commits a sin against us, we ponder how God deals with us as we sin against him. When someone treats us poorly, like a blanket that we spread out, we allow love to cover the offense. So principle two, when it comes to pursuing relational conflict and seeing reconciliation happen, it's charity than clarity, but also we should make strides in saying, I'm just, I'm just going to overlook this offense. I'm just going to let that one go. Principle three, as it relates to pursuing reconciliation when there's a relational conflict, is this. Owning your part. Owning your part. Do you remember, do you remember what Jesus says about calling out people's flaws and faults? He says this in Matthew 7, verses 3 and 5. He says, why do you see the speck? That is in your brother's eyes, but you don't notice the log that's in your own eyes. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there's this log in your own eye, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Hmm. What that means is this. Before we approach others and their mistakes, it would do us well to remember that one, we don't see things as clearly as we might think we do. And two, we still have sins in our lives we're trying to get rid of by the Spirit's help. This means that we should be more concerned with what's wrong with us than what's wrong with someone else. Whenever we come into a conversation trying to work out relational conflict, in the words of one of our staff members, we should be thinking this. We should arm ourselves with as many apologies as we can hold. Let's not assume that we're totally in the right. Let us be a quick repenter. We can't forget that we too are works in progress. And so understanding this clothes us in humility for the tough conversations that we're going to have with people that we're in conflict with. Finally, principle number four. It's this. Get the right people involved. Get the right people involved. Now, when you've hit this, this category, you've gone past misunderstanding. You've gone past tension. At this point, there's real sin that you can't simply overlook any longer. If the conflict is a sin that is a pattern, or it's deep enough where reconciliation via repentance is required, or this particular offense is hurting multiple people, you can't just overlook it. Action here is is necessary. So what's the necessary action? Well, you go first, you go directly to that person. Here's where I think we can make some wrong moves, right? Where I've seen people make wrong moves. For example, we we could play the the moral high horse card. All right, now this card gets played when I'm experiencing conflict with someone, and I don't go directly to them. I here's where I go. I go to one of our mutual friends, and I share my side of the story. I might even disguise it. 
as, hey, I need counsel from you on this situation. What would you do? You see, what I've done is I've made them aware of the conflict, but I've done so by painting me on the right side. That's why I call it the moral high horse. Another wrong move, which would be in the similar vein, would be this. I call this the the ally card. Instead of talking directly to the person that is in sin or that I'm not unified with, I go to someone and I just vent. I'm tearing them down without giving them a chance to defend themselves. And what I'm doing is I'm building up allies by gossiping about them and sharing a one-sided narrative. Now, if you're someone listening to a, a friend talk about another person in a negative way without that person present, here's my encouragement. Shut it down. Ask. Ask that person that wants to vent or share their side of the story. Say, hey, 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 before you go any further, have you talked to that person directly? Because that's your first step. Before I listen in, before I become a, a trusted friend on this, before I, be, before I give you my ear, have you gone directly to them? Remember, Proverbs eighteen seventeen: The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. It's not fair to that person who's not present to talk about them. What we need to do is go to that. If we have a concern, if we're not reconciled, we go to that person first. Now, biblically, that's the first step in relational conflict. It's going to that person directly without getting other people involved. And we get that instruction from Matthew 18, verse 15. Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. I was able to bold that or highlight that in your Bible. I would do that alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. So only when you have gone to him or her and they have not responded with a mutual desire for unity and a mutual posture of humility and repented if necessary, then you get others involved. But as the principle states, we get the right people involved. Well, who are those people? Those people would be the people that have the ability to mediate a person who is called to handle sin cases within the church this will most likely be church leaders if i go to someone who can't help provide a solution to the problem that just that just becomes gossip and slander so i go to someone who can help bring unity and has a place of authority because now sin is not being dealt with and it's those commissioned by god and responsible to ensuring that sin doesn't spread within the church those are the church leaders. They're called to help handle those sort of cases so the church's calling to holiness doesn't get compromised. And so here's what we begin to do as we get the right people involved. We start to widen the involvement with the right people if repentance hasn't taken place. And I think that would involve church leadership, right? Maybe it's a life group leader. Maybe it's... Uh, Someone, someone on staff that has a personal relationship with, with you and that other person. But here's where we get that biblically. Matthew 18, verses 16 and 17. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he, if he does not listen, here it is. Take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the whole church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church... Let him be to you a Gentile and a tax collector. So the process goes like this. Go to the person directly. That's the first step. If no repentance or nothing is taken to heart, then bring one or two others with you. 
And then if still nothing, bring it to the whole church. So at, at King's Hill, the process would go something like this. First, a one-on-one conversation. Then to the life group leader. Now, I, I mentioned life groups for King's Hill. If you're in a, another church listening to this, that maybe they call it something else. Community group, small group, whatever. But one-on-one conversation first. Then to the life group leader. Then to the elders. So that's the widening of involvement, getting the right people involved. And if there's constant refusal from the one-on-one, the life group leader, from the elders, then what the elders must do is they must bring this before the members of the church because it would have reached a point where because of a lack of repentance, the church could no longer affirm their profession of faith. All right, so at the end of the day, if our prayer is to, to grow to become more like Jesus, then working out relational conflict is an opportunity to grow in that love. Jesus was betrayed, abandoned, nailed to a cross. Talk about the ultimate conflict, creator and the creature. We were all wayward sinners, and even more so, enemies of Jesus. And in love, he came into the world to endure the cross, despise its shame, win us back, and to see us reconciled back to God if we choose him by faith. May we reflect this kind of love in the conflicts that we experience. Charity than clarity. Overlook often. Own your part. Get the right people involved. I hope you enjoyed today's discussion around how to deal in a healthy way relational conflict. If you'd like more information or resources from Kingsville Church, you can visit us online at www.kingshillboston.com.